Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has never been happier to not hire a coach, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I was not necessarily out here banging the drum that Steve Sarkeesian was the guy. I had nothing against him. I just didn't know that I was the first person on the Sark bandwagon. Um, but I was absolutely uh, anti-Urban Meyer, and yes. I feel relatively vindicated for that statement. Coach Urban Meyer seems to be able to have in the past one. Uh, he never has left warm fuzzies after he left or, or necessarily a program that didn't have some violations but i'll leave the extreme criticism uh for for others or for later uh but I, yes i am i am thrilled that because uh, there's a chance that he urban meyer showed up and we still only won six games this year and if you if you only win six games and also you have a like a, a horrid heartless human being as as your leader uh it, it just makes it doubly uh, ridiculous so yes yes i'm i'm glad merry christmas we'll talk more about this later in bang the drum but we've been saying all along the texas dot unless steve sarkeesian like burns this place down like literally sets fire to uh campbell williams field then texas dodged a bullet uh on urban meyer and we'll talk more about that later but Guys that are ducking and dodging and headed to different places. We've got a lot of moves on the football team, so we'll start there. We'll talk about some changes to the squad. We'll talk about the basketball team, uh, both basketball teams. Uh, we'll also do some burnt orange lenses. We'll do some uh, Godzilla Tron, some Christmas season Godzilla Tron, and we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So there are a lot of comings and goings on the football team. We'll start with the, the players transferring out uh, following Quinn Ewers announcing that he was coming to Texas. Uh, following National Signing Day, Casey Thompson, this year's starter for, we'll call it 78% of the season, announced that he would be entering his name into the transfer portal. Uh, played 12 games for Texas, played in all 12 games for Texas. Went 63% for over 2,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. That includes three games with more than 300 yards. There's a um, five-touchdown performance against Tech and OU and a six-touchdown performance against Kansas. He, he heads out as a graduate transfer with a year of eligibility left, and 247 already has him with a crystal ball to TCU, which would absolutely suck, but that's either here nor there. But, Kyle, as we as – we, Kind of close the chapter on the Casey Thompson era. It was short. It had some highs. It has some lows. But, like, it's it feels like Casey is a guy who gave Texas everything he had. He's a guy who tried to lead the team through a rough year uh, and was put into some bad spots and did as much as he could with it. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that people should not be wishing Casey Thompson luck and, and success. He spent multiple years on the 40 acres, waited for his chance. Uh, kind of got his his team his year uh, last year. It was unfortunately not the year that 
any fan or, or I'm sure Casey Thompson or the rest of the team would have wanted. Um, but in, inside of that year, there were some, some, you know, some really good highs for him personally. Uh, there was some success that, that he had, um, you know, OU game will, will always kind of that first half of the OU game will always be incredibly memorable. Even the second half, you know, the, as bad as they look for a period, there was some fight back in that game. And, and Thompson was at the center of that and Xavier Worthy also at the center of it. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, it leaves like a, a mixed legacy, but I, I don't, don't necessarily think, you know, you could take the time later to, 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 to break down, that contribution and is a one-year starter, right? It's hard to leave a legacy, but but ultimately, I think every fan, pundit, person associated with Texas football should should be thankful for the guts that that kid showed, the um, you know the the leadership I think he showed, and and um, hopefully in starting a transition as uh, you know the bridge between one era of Texas football. Uh, in the next and, and hopefully the Sarkeesian era begins in earnest. And again, there's not a single piece of, of negative or, or hard feeling that, that exists, at least uh, from this half of the podcast, uh, towards Casey Thompson, who I think is was a gutsy warrior who played through injury and, and tried to make every play, maybe sometimes to his detriment, but, you know, tried to win games himself, had the, you know, had the mentality that he, Texas deserved to be better than a five-win team and sometimes tried too hard maybe to go out and change that and win it, but ultimately um, had the heart of a champion and competitor and, again, a guy who um, was classy as he went out. His, his post to uh, to exit just, you know, ooze the class that everyone who's been around him has uh, spoken about for years. Uh, the guy who's a hard worker, um, a, you know, dedicated film nut student of the game you know all, all those things um which i hope will, will lead to success you know hope health also lead to that but lead to success uh in his next destination yeah i mean you should never have any hard feelings for a kid who's going to do what's best for them in this situation period end of sentence but especially a guy like casey who came out and played hurt twice right he came out and played doubly hurt for texas uh and really tried to give them as much as they can and you and i have not like we're not going to sit here and say casey was perfect like he on several occasions tried to win the game with one throw when he probably could have taken a shorter uh shorter play and, and kept the kept the drive alive and tried to keep things going we saw it against ou we saw that against uh kansas we saw and so we're not going to sit here and say that he was perfect and and that is not the conversation that needs to be had about Casey. But what dude needs to have is like that. He gave everything that he could for this university. And that's something that we have to, I, at least I feel like I have to respect uh, as somebody who goes and talks about this, this university and the, the sports that they play uh, twice a week. And so uh, another guy who's on the way out, Jared Wiley tight end appeared in 12 games over three seasons for Texas, just 19 receptions, 248 yards and three touchdowns saw about a hundred yard, uh, downturn in his production uh, from 2020 to 2021 and it seemed like you and I were big big fans of Jared Wiley early in his career we thought he needed more looks and more play but it just seems like he didn't progress as much as a blocker as was needed in either of the systems because both in Tom Herman's system and in Steve Sarkeesian's system tight ends aren't just receiving threats they are guys who need to be able to block and that never really seemed to develop whether it was skill or a will issue I'm not sure which but he's leaving behind now a sophomore Brayden Librock who has yet to make it through a season healthy freshman Jatavian Sanders Juan Davis and Gunnar 
Helm all to backfill. And so there's a lot of young talent, but the tight end position continues to be kind of an Achilles heel at Texas in a system that really needs it to be good. Did, didn't we officially lift the curse of Jermichael Finley? I don't know if we did that too early. Uh, we might have. Yeah. <laughs> kudos to uh, Cade Brewer for finishing out his career with his best two games, getting those touchdown catches or whatever. But uh, yeah, we had turnover at the position, right? With with Brewer uh, moving on after like eleven years, and and Wiley, uh, to his credit, graduating in in three years. Um, no, you know, no small feat. Uh, so this is a person who. Again, everyone should be wishing well because he completed a degree at the University of Texas. He's a Longhorn forever. Um, but he, he just is a player who you and I, I mean, we were hashtag widely hyped. We really, really thought and maybe bought into the hype. We thought that he had the tools, the six foot five frame, the kind of ability to, the athletic uh, skill set that he brought from playing, you know, multiple different positions in, in, in prep and specifically high school, his senior year um, at quarterback. Um, we just thought there was an athletic, an ability, and a lot of athleticism and ability to kind of read the game that you just would inevitably translate uh, at this level. It's another guy, Malcolm Epps, you know, that that big, tall, tight end that, that you just think, oh, it's got to work. It's going to be touchdowns galore for this guy and, and, and never really materialized for either of those two who've, who've transferred out uh, in the past two kind of end-of-season portals. So uh, for, for Wiley, again, just a player who it was tough. Brewer had the continuity. To, he kind of was ahead of him this year with the experienced player who could block better. Um, I, you know, I think Wiley maybe is never going to be that inline blocking tight end, but as just a tall guy with pretty solid hands, you know, maybe he could do that somewhere and, and um, be a red zone threat. And again, go to another school that just has an instant need where he can come in and, and Hey, look, Stanford, great degree. Uh, Coach David Shaw runs, you know, fades uh, about 23 times a game, um, you know, just just spams the fade play. Run it until it works. I, I'm just saying, Jared Wiley, I mean, just if, if you're not looking, the Stanford Cardinal, it, it just it makes perfect sense. Uh, but no, I, I, I will be curious to see where he ends up. And I'll keep a close eye on him because I, I, I again, this is one I was legitimately wrong on. I just assumed that by this time in his Texas career, he would be wildly successful um, and uh, and in breaking that Jermichael Finley curse. Seriously, like we, you and I were hashtag Wiley Hive early on in the career. And so, um, but again, he got a degree. He got, got through the university in three years, which is something that neither you nor I accomplished. <laughs> and he was able to um, contribute where he could. And again, he had a lot of, he had, he still needed to make some progress and it, it you know, we talk a lot about Jeff Banks' skill as a special teams coach. He's also a really renowned tight ends coach as well. And so I'm, I'm curious what, if he just wasn't taking to the coaching or what it was, but you know, Wiley is, is on his way out and that's fine. And we're really happy for him. I'm curious and excited to see what Librock can finally do. If he stays healthy, Sanders finally has a, we'll have another off season under his belt to hopefully get there. We saw some flashes from Juan Davis as well. Big Juan Davis fam. So I think the tight end spot is probably going to be okay. Sark mentioned that Texas had too many tight ends anyways. So this feels more like a, a um, your normal roster. So moving on to the coaching, staff we talked last week that uh, Stan Drayton was taking his talents to Philadelphia finally a well-deserved spot as the Temple Owls head coach and so we talked a little bit about who we thought would replace him you and I were both very wrong and it turned out to be former Georgia Tech star and running back coach Tashard Choice 
who has been hired to replace Stan Drayton. He was actually um, the running backs coach under Lincoln Riley for about 17 seconds. Um, suck it, Link. And he wasn't even there long enough for an official announcement, uh, and Texas poached him. He is re- he is regarded as one of the, the young up-and-comers in the industry, and I really appreciate people calling him young because he's two years older than me, which is great. Uh, so... He, while at Georgia Tech, was responsible for recruiting uh, the number 76 player overall in the country, the number eight running back, uh, Jamire Gibbs, who was pursued by everybody, Alabama, Georgia, all the big names, uh, managed to credit it. Um, Coach Choice as being the reason why he ended up at Georgia Tech. Uh, and Gibbs, in his two years at Georgia Tech before entering the transfer portal, accounted for more than 1,200 yards and six touchdowns in his sophomore year. So a a big pickup for Texas, a young, up-and-coming, energetic guy known as a a motivator and somebody who can get people uh, hyped for the game. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, um, he's got a pregame speech on YouTube that people have been watching for a decade now, which is absolutely incredible. Um, but he's a guy who I think can be a really good addition to this roster from this staff uh, because you're hoping to replace Drayton both either as a recruiter and a developer. And it seems like choice maybe can check both boxes. Yeah. And, and also brings a bit of the, the DFW um, kind of uh, mindset and, and familiarity. He was at North Texas uh, also obviously played for the the Cowboys. Um, so you know, has has the the Dallas Texas uh, roots a bit. The interesting thing for him, he was actually you know slated to be the starting running back his redshirt freshman year, uh, coming off of that Jason White uh, national title appearance for Oklahoma, uh, and then he had a hamstring injury and in a, in a young uh, freshman back. Uh, named, uh, I believe it's Adrian Peterson, is how they say that, uh, <laughs> took over uh, the spot and never looked back. It's a choice, uh, well, you know, made his way to Georgia Tech and, and carved out a legacy for himself uh, there, for sure. I think he was the first yeah, uh, Yellow Jackets to ever have back-to-back 1,000-yard uh, rushing seasons when I was looking at this, which is awesome. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I think Lincoln Riley wanted him bad at, at USC, and that tells you something, right? And, and uh, you know, again, like you said, his, his merits at Georgia Tech are certainly good. He has the Texas connection and and has NFL ties. Has uh, you know the ability to to motivate, develop, and, and recruit, which are all the things you need. Um, I, I think it will be very interesting um, where we look back in two or three years because Stan Drayton was kind of the elder statesman on this uh, staff. Both he was you know, slightly a little bit older than some of our position coaches, and was also um, you know. It sounds crazy, but super tenured at Texas. He had four whole years, um, which you know not many people did. And so there, there will be some not just changing in responsibilities, but you know you'll see what other guys step up as kind of the you know bit of a leadership within the staff internally, where Drayton kind of held that that little bit of a little bit of a you know old head kind of uh, place on the staff. So uh, very interesting. I, I think choice is a great uh, choice, pun intended. Um, and I am I am. I am jacked about this one mainly just because any time that that you can you can make Lincoln Riley who has you know hundreds of millions of new dollars uh, and and new houses and things who's on top of the world feel a little bit bad in this stage of his life I'm I'm here for it I don't care about OU I hope bad things happen to OU but 
I'm not like I hope bad things also happen to Lincoln Riley. I think he the way he went about that is just absolutely terrible. So I love seeing bad things happen to him. Another coach on the way out. Uh, Texas reportedly, according to several sources and now players tweeting at him, uh, is letting go of wide receiver coach Andre Coleman after three years on the staff, two years as the wide receiver coach. Uh, was brought on in 2019 after serving as the offensive coordinator under Bill Snyder, the second go around or third go around. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, at Kansas State promoted to wide receiver coach after Texas jettisoned rightfully Drew Maringer off of the staff. That was a move to fix either the recruiting or the lack of development at wide receiver. And neither of those things really occurred. Texas, this kind of punched his ticket. Unfortunately, Texas missed out uh, in in this class on on Evan Stewart, the five star receiver, and four and four star receiver Armani Winfield. Both of those were tied to Texas, committed to Texas, decommitted, and then ultimately went elsewhere. A and M and Baylor, respectively. In the last two classes, Texas has gotten one of the top ten in state wide receivers. So five, one of Brendan uh, Brendan Thompson is the only top five receiver in the last two classes in the state of Texas that the University of Texas has signed. Now, Xavier Worthy uh, is in the 2021 mix of top receivers, but he was more of a Sark recruit, not necessarily a a Coleman recruit. Uh, And Andre Coleman seems to be a great person, but when it comes to getting it done at Texas, uh, the results over the last two years, there needs to be some accountability, and it seems like it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And in continuing a tradition of going back to to Herman and and – kind of his specific uh, input and oversight in the receiver room, uh, Drew Meringer, um, you know, there as well, just some recruiting misses. I think Coleman's, uh, where he was touted was as though he wasn't a great, you know, phenomenal recruiter. He was an excellent developer. And again, I'm not, to take a freshman and do what Xavier Worthy did, there's natural talent, but there has to be some coaching there without a doubt. But you just didn't see the unit as a whole kind of, take the step up and have the next man up mentality that I think Sark in his offense specifically is looking for when he says he wants Ferraris, right? He wants receivers who are out there flying. He wants, you know, three, four deep. And then those guys go to the NFL and you have three, four ready to go in, in the next group. I think the, the wide receiver is not a luxury position in, in a Steve Sarkeesian offense. And so this is a critical um, position coach, a, a critical hire who who will fill in uh, in this spot. And, and also your wide receiver, like the, just the way you structure a coaching staff, your wide receivers coach uh, is typically like an ace recruiter. Like people will, will typically use that to to, to hang their best uh, recruiter or one of their best recruiters. So it, it, it you know you better be a dang good uh, developer of talent if you're not uh, if you're not an ace recruiter at, at that kind of position on the staff. You've got like Rashad Samples, who's a guy who's coached wide receivers at places, and he's a rainmaker at recruiter, right? Malcolm Kelly is a rainmaker at at recruiter in uh, at TCU. Like is Hart is Hartline the wide receivers coach for Ohio Ryan State? Hartline yeah, at Ohio State, who absolutely pants Texas Ugh. in year after year after Hate year for in state kids, Hate right? It's on it's on on site. I've told him it is on on site. If I see <laughs> Brian Hartline, it's fine. It is what it is, but. Like that to me is is the struggle, and so we haven't heard any official reports or anything. But there's a lot of smoke around Texas targeting uh, pit wide receiver coach Brendan Marion, who's been an offensive coordinator, kind of the uh, the progenitor of the go go offense. He re- literally wrote a book about the go go mm-hmm. offense. He's the guy who made it, um, and it would be great for to see 
you know, Texas incorporating some of those concepts. I think Sark is a smart enough and secure enough guy to uh, look at another smart person and incorporate their thoughts into it. Uh, but Brendan Marion is also a guy who, you know, the current school he's at, Pitt, needs an offensive coordinator. And, and I said it out on Twitter, if Pat Narduzzi doesn't at least offer him the job, they should just tar and feather Pat Narduzzi <laughs> and, and, and run him out of town because that would be just the dumbest, biggest bag fumble ever. Yeah, but I mean, how wonderful if it is Marion? How wonderful would it be to again take his, some of his concepts that he uh, developed it, it uh, really, I guess, put into practice in Hawaii and, and kind of get the whole coaching world uh, noticing, and then you know has done at uh, Pitt to uh, great aplomb. It certainly made Kenny Pickett and the receiving group there look uh, look you know excellent. Well, we'll see how the NFL scouts grade that out exactly. I'm not knocking anyone over there but I'm saying I think he he certainly that offense and and those receivers just it it looked looked good so if that is an option that's a really exciting one because again you just take brain talent offensive brain talent and you layer that in with with again like Steve Sarkeesian and just it's it's an influx of new ideas to an already potent offense with a new uh quarterback I think it's 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 exciting um what what you could have um kind of unfolding over the next couple of years if if all those things do align yeah we'll see how it works out again you and i don't have any sources you and i are just two guys talking but we'll see how it works out i'm sure sark wants to fill that position sooner rather than later so as that position fills and as any other changes happen we'll be back with you to keep you up to speed so now's the part of the show where we give some shine to the other teams on, on campus. Really, we should talk about basketball right now. <laughs> and we down the 40. So number 17 men's basketball wins an ugly one over Stanford, 60 to 53, 8 and 2 on the year. Texas jumped out to a seven-point first half lead, but really struggled offensively in the second half. Kyle, I'm a little worried. Let's just say that I'm a little worried that when Texas plays, I don't know, Baylor or Kansas, that um, these offensive issues, there was like an almost eight minute span where neither team scored in this game. Uh, I am worried that Baylor is going to just run through this team um, and it's not going to be pretty. And I'm going to have to listen to those doofuses talk for another year. Yeah, I think I think there's been some level setting and adjustment in the expectations for Texas fans um, a little bit from kind of preseason, the high of is this the best team in the country to you know how are these guys going to play together and how are they going to play in in beards system i think what we're seeing texas uh they hey we're, we're number two um in <laughs> in slowest basketball played virginia is number one we are the the second slowest i think we're number 300 Woo. 353 out of 354 uh teams according to ken palm that is that is um the the second slowest tempo of basketball which that that to win games like that, and in no way saying that it can't be done, to win games like that, you have to have two things. You have to have you know incredible offensive efficiency because you're limiting the number of possessions, so you're assuming you're going to take advantage of those, and you have to have kind of tenacious, relentless defense um, by assuming you're not letting either team run a ton. Um, you are you know also hoping that you are getting boards to limit the uh, the number of uh, additional possessions since you're, you're limiting that game, and you know hopefully not getting in terrible foul trouble because that's the, those are free possessions. So think of basketball now in the Chris Beard kind of POV as a possessions game, right? So being efficient with them. 
the scarier part to me, I think the defense is good. I think the fact they're holding pretty good teams, is, I think, to Seton Hall with that stretch, you know, that Texas went cold, so did Seton Hall. When they went cold against Stanford, so did Stanford. I do think Texas was clearly the more talented team than Stanford. Stanford's not necessarily an elite team. They're going to be an okay team. Maybe that might might jump up to, a you know, like a, a Q2 or Q3 Decent. win. <laughs> yeah, that's our marquee win of the season. Um, but this one never felt like Texas was was, you know, Behind or, or crucial, just never felt like they could put the foot on the gra- the gas or put put the foot on the neck, honestly, um, and 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 kind of make it a, a no doubter. And again, that that might be just a uh, a function of the way this this team is set up. But again, the defense intensity and the defensive level is 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 good for I think what Beard is trying to do. The offense regressing and not really you know kind of stabilizing is a little bit more worrying you're going to need to hit outside shots you're going to need to be able to have you know if you're running the motion offense the ability to get the open looks but also the guy who can take over in that and and whether that's car at guard or or one of uh, mitchell you know allen bishop disu somebody at some point and i don't know if it's necessarily the hot hand or what it is but you just need someone to be able to say give me the ball i'll get us points because yeah you, you go five six straight possessions without a point all of a sudden you start to get those nerves it starts to get fingers get a little clammy and that's not how you want to be playing in a crisp beard offense you need to be fishing on one end tenacious on the other and there's really no time for uh that overthinking or those nerves yeah it's the no it's the no inside defense not the no inside offense and i think that's the thing that's like frustrating for me is i, I just don't you hit the nail on the head we talked about it last week you and i talked about it again if you're if you're limiting your possessions there's no excuse for you to go that long without scoring a basket now on the good side of things texas forced 22 turnovers mm-hmm. in this game scored 23 points off that mm-hmm. so like that's the kind of ball that we want to see from this club yep. is creating creating extra opportunities and extra possessions now did they capitalize on all of those no 23 points off 22 turnovers isn't a great ratio but the fact that we're seeing those extra possessions created is good and hopefully it'll start to click and hopefully they see the ball fall into the basket more. And that's really what I want to see. So Texas had a last minute schedule change uh, heading into their last two games of the season. Uh, Rice is currently on a COVID pause. So rather than scheduling like a Kentucky who also needed to play somebody <laughs> this week, they went ahead and scheduled Alabama state for this week. And then they'll close out non-conference play with incarnate word next week. Gerald, did you see who the leading scorer for Alabama State is, though? Uh, I did, Kyle. Who is it? It is. Uh, I, I gave half of the answer away. It is. It is Gerald. <laughs> Liddell, uh, former Texas Longhorn Gerald Liddell, uh, is currently the top scorer. So I guess in, in a way, Chris Beard can brand this as just trying to hashtag unite the family. Unite the family. So on the ladies' side of things, the ladies also had their game had a game in the desert that was canceled due to COVID. They were they were set to square off against number four Arizona. So they ended up playing San Diego and won seventy four to fifty. Eight. Texas scored 27 points off turnovers, 13 second chance points, but shot 30% from the floor in the first quarter and 55% for the rest of the game. Again, it was not a pretty one, uh, but it, you know what? Those things happen when you have to change opponents like literally the day before. Uh, I, I think it means St. Diego. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> scholars have, have debated. Um, it, here's the thing. It, it, this ugly... An ugly one is is a part of what you get with Vic teams. This was actually, 
I, I thought a pretty good win. Aliyah Mathieu is so legit. 22 points, seven steals. I said that again, seven steals in 27 minutes. Um, just the fact she's, I mean, she's a, a Coach Vic player who came, transferred from Mississippi State and is is the kind of linchpin of all of these uh, big wins, uh, big games for Texas. And, and you know, not to say she did it by herself or anything. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it just putting on an unreal performance uh, this year, this year so far. And I think as some of the other young, and this is a young team, some of the other young players continue to mature and grow their games through, through kind of conference play that, that this is really going to, we talk about the two teams and the, the two experiments of how they're building the roster. They both have a lot of new players. There was more continuity on the women's side. Uh, but this one, this experiment seems to be working much, much better. And I think, like I said, I really like where they're heading towards a tournament, what they can do and what they still have, the, you know, room in that ceiling to grow with with as many young players as they do. Um, and a many, as many kind of, they, they could have six, seven different 10-point-a-night players they they depending who's who's on that night they have some good um some good depth on this team and and uh, i think you know we, we saw some of that against san diego san diego i'm sorry i said san diego state san diego yeah i think this is a team that's going to continue to gel and mesh and get better uh each and every game so i'm excited to see it next up for them they're heading to new jersey to take on princeton this wednesday texas combined men's and women's diving takes fourth place at the usa diving winter nationals the women one, the men plays fourth. Get it together, fellas. But number one swimming posts a really good outing at the Jingle Bell Splash. Uh, freshman Marco Vujosevic is what we're going with. Won the 100 butterfly with a time of 49.55 and followed that with a runner-up result in the 50 free. Adam uh, Fusti Molnar picked up a win in the 200 breaststroke. And two horns were away from that. Unfortunately, it's probably why the men struggled a little bit, who are representing Team USA at the FINA World Championships in Abu Dhabi. Texas baseball, high expectations, ranked number one in the preseason, according to Baseball News. They edged, edged out Vandy for the number one spot by just four points. Yeah, a good uh, a good showing volleyball uh, started preseason number one. I believe rowing came out in the first poll as, as number one. We have some number ones around here, uh, some low numbers. Let's hope there is a curse that dates back, uh, I'd have to look up exactly how many years, but a decade plus, that the number one team going into the tournament has not won the College World Series uh, in, like I said, at least a decade. So let's hope they're number one all year. Someone passes them right at the end. They go into the tournament number two uh, and then win the whole dang thing. Uh, but or, or they could just be one, go go pole to pole, you know, uh, to use the horse racing term, just never give it up uh, and, and then dogpile in Omaha. But either way, baseball just a couple months away. It's exciting. That on the volleyball court, Logan Eggleston was named a finalist for the Honda Award, which is given to not the top volleyball player in the country, but the top women's athlete across 12 NCAA women's sanctioned sports. She's one of those four finalists. Volleyball also adds All-American libero Zoe Fleck from UCLA, which is a huge addition, but on the way out, huge loss uh, hitter Skylar Fields is officially in the transfer portal after appearing in literally every match Texas has played for the last three seasons. 
Yeah, I, I hate to lose Skylar Fields. I think that's uh, – I, I don't know if others more inside the volleyball world saw that coming. I certainly did not. Um, a a third-team All-American who, you know, had a chance to, to, to make that number smaller next year and kind of be uh, one of the primary focuses. She's from Missouri City, you know, a Texas uh, a Texas uh, woman. Um, so you, you would have loved to see her finish it out. Um, but I, I do – I'm positive that she will have success wherever she ends up. Um, I'll, I'll be curious if there's any. I don't know if that's necessarily a like for like swap. Um, Zoe Fleck is is you know the dig master who basically will play on your back line and just you know I think she holds the California high school records uh, all time for digs. She just she she is uh, an elite. Uh, she's a very good server. She's elite uh, returning and breaking the serve. Um, but you know it'll be curious to see who steps up into that outside uh, hitter role that that Skylar Fields uh, will be leaving. But wish her all the best. Always wish her the best. Congratulations on your next step wherever you end up. All right, Gerald. Let's take a look now. It's um, some, some final closing out segments here. It's holiday time, right? We are, uh, when you listen to this, four days out from Christmas. Hope you all bought your presents. If not, uh, use my code on Amazon. No, I don't have a code. Um, <laughs> go go and get those Affiliate done. Affiliate link. No, we don't have one. <laughs> but Amazon, hit us up. We know you're listening, Bezos. Uh, if if uh, if you want uh, a little a little calming Christmas uh, Godzilla Tron, you know, you need to listen to some songs or watch a movie. We, we figured we'd... we'd We'd switch it up a bit for the holidays. So uh, we'll start with you, Gerald. Give the listeners your favorite Christmas movie and or song. Uh, favorite Christmas movie is tough. Muppet Christmas Carol, I talked about it last week, is probably up there. If I had like, if you're like Gerald, name one and you can't waffle on it. Muppet Christmas Carol uh-huh. is is really up there. Also, Claus or Klaus on Netflix. Absolutely so good. incredible. It, I cried the first time I watched it straight up. Like, and again, it is, I'm a crier in movies. It is what it is. But like that one absolutely got me. They're great. Like family movies you could watch. I'm um, up at Christmas Carol's a little intense. Cause it's like a very faithful ad- adaptation of a Christmas Carol. And so like, it's very spooky at times, but, uh, those are probably the two that I would say, uh, I like, we watch quite a bit at the Goodrich household on Christmas songs. This is so tough. Contemporary Christmas song, probably let it snow by boys to men and, or Brian McKnight, uh, which is one of my all time favorites. If you're looking at like the classics, uh, do you hear what I hear by Whitney Houston is forever and ever a dunk on anybody who's ever considered singing Christmas Carol ever in their life. Nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Actually. Great, great picks. Gerald, I have a couple uh, caveat test questions here. Do you consider any of the following or all of the following, and, and then I'll give my answers, to be Christmas movies, starting with number one, Die Hard? Uh, Die Hard and Home Alone are basically the same movie, so yes. <laughs> Love that. What about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Ooh, that one's tougher. It takes place at Christmas, but I like maybe if Die Hard's a Christmas movie, then yes, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang probably gets to be a Christmas movie as well. Okay, fair enough. Um, I, I guiltily watch Love Actually, but I'm not going to say it's the best. Um, nope. be- because the, although there are some there's some good schmaltz and and some 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 good charm there, there's also some problematic things. Uh, I know we both ha- have a shared opinion about how how you know what amount of hands being applied to one's face is is, is appropriate for uh, old boy's friend, uh, and it's all all the Rick hands. Grimes deserves to get the hands, all of the hands, catch them all. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the the card placard thing is is cute until you realize like if I came downstairs, dude would be dying. Oh, the third one I was thinking of, Trading Places. 
Ooh. I don't know if Trading Places is a Christmas movie. I love that movie. But is it a Christmas movie? Christ- that one's tough to spring on me. Christmas is central to, and I, yeah, it's, there was the third one I was thinking, it's central to the plot. Like, it, it matters enough, you know, with, with what actually happens, the whole, you know, basic, the, the, the satire is set up with, you know, the Christmas bat and, again, the, the, the iconic image of Dan Aykroyd in that just disgusting Santa suit stuffing yeah. salmon into it. Um, but, you know, it, it, I will not take any of those. I will leave Die Hard, although that's a pretty good answer. Uh, and I, I will leave both Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Trading Places. Uh, if you put a gun to my head, the movie that I've probably watched the most on Christmas is probably Elf. I love Elf. I do. My wife also loves Will Ferrell, um, so it makes it easy for us. But to, to go with your, your your Netflix, I really, really, Netflix just knocked it out of the park uh, last year. I think both of these came out the same year, I believe. Jingle Jangle uh, also Ooh. came out in 2020, and I don't even have kids, but I'm like already ready for them to watch that. But if I think, uh, I'm going to say a tie. I know I just said like 11 movies, but I think I'm going to tie Jingle Jangle as the Contemporary, and then for the classic, I'm going to go with the OG Grinch from the 60s. Oh, I like it. I love it. So now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college. Gerald, 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 Gerald. What? I know I talk talk so much during my movies. (laughs) So let me say... I know, I know. I just for the folks at home who were, had their notepads out taking notes, I'm sure you you know were waiting to fill this blank. And contemporary, I love John Legend's This Christmas. You know, as soon as I hear the hang all the mistletoe, it just sounds like it's going down. Um, I ooh, you know I love a good everything Casey Musgraves did from her last special. If you haven't seen that, like. All of those songs, there's something, there's one of them on there called A Very Willie Christmas, which I think is just utterly phenomenal. It's about uh, Willie Nelson, but my, uh, I have a, I, I'd have to check how many it is now, but it's 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 probably 500 deep Christmas playlist where I try to mm-hmm. get some of the obscure ones as well so that it's not all the same. Of course, I love, you know, Dolly singing, you know, uh, Hard Candy Christmas, and I, I love uh, Otis singing, you know, White Christmas, all those or, or without a doubt, um, but I do like some of the you know some of the ones that are a little less uh, familiar. Um, but I think maybe for listeners this is not as familiar. But my number one that I've sang the most that I know every word start to finish is Robert O'Keefe's "Merry Christmas from the Family." I'll allow it. Another another uh, hot taker, not hot taker for me, but "Wonderful Christmas." People hate that song, and I love it. Like Paul McCartney, "Wonderful Christmas." I think it's just like fun and schlocky and dumb. It, it it is yeah. Is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Since I went so long on my choices, I'll go short on this. When I'm banging the drum on, two weeks in a row, Gerald, I get to name a U.S. Athlete, male athlete of the year, as uh, announced per that sports national uh, federation last week, was Ryan Krauser as the male track athlete of the year this year. Kevin Durant named the 2021 U.S. Basketball Male Athlete of the Year. We talked about it as it happened, but Kevin Durant basically carried Coach Popovich and the team to uh, the gold medal, became the all-time uh, scorer, Olympic scorer. Just um, he he put the team on his back though. And, and, you know, some, sometimes you think about Durant's not a spring chicken. Um, uh, but you think about when you hear the stories of Kobe or LeBron or, uh, David Robinson back in the day, the, 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 the short version is basically David not taking a break for the Olympics is how the Spurs got Tim Duncan. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes it, it affects that next season after Kevin Durant currently averaging 30 points, 
eight rebounds and six assists. Um, his usage is just an unbelievable amount, but he's incredibly efficient. Just putting together like an MVP caliber uh, campaign after that, um, which is which is amazing. So Kevin Durant, I think you can say right now, as much as you know, Giannis and, and Jokic and some 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 of these uh, European invaders would would like to take the crown. I think Kevin Durant still currently the best basketball player on the planet. I think that's a pretty fair argument. So I'm banging the drum this week on um, a, a subject we talked about earlier in in the show, and that's Urban Meyer. If you haven't been keeping up with it, Urban Meyer was fired from his position as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars in less than a season. And you and I were pretty openly like kind of taking the bitter pill on Urban Meyer when it seemed like he was in line to be the Texas coach. It's like, I guess, right, if he's going to be the guy, we'll support him, but we're going to hate it throughout the entirety of it. And thankfully it didn't happen because come to find out, um, he's a jerk. He's a massive jerk. We always knew he was a massive jerk, and he got fired for being a massive jerk who was also not good at his job. I think the things that made him a good, co- air quotes, good college coach or at least successful college coach, depending on how you judge success, don't work when you're dealing with grown men who have families and mortgages. Doesn't work. And it seems to me that if your leadership methodology only works when the power dynamic is very shifted in your direction, you are not a leader, you're a dictator, and that makes you a terrible, terrible, terrible leader. And I'm very glad that he is out on his keister. Granted, he was very well compensated and will probably continue to be very well compensated. He'll end up back on the TV airwaves and people will let him be there, but as it stands right now, he is not currently employed by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it makes me happy because, let's be honest, both of the schools that he left had massive scandals following, or at least toward the tail end of his career. Look at the roster from the Florida Gators. Aaron Hernandez was straight up killing people when he left that organization. Tim Tebow was like the, hey, look over here at this great guy, and everybody else was terrible. Right. We all know what happened with with Tom Herman and other uh, the spousal abuse situations with former wide receiver coaches there as well. Urban Meyer is a terrible person, and I'm very, very glad that it worked out the way it did for him in Jacksonville. Kicking, kicking players like just that mentality that you think you can like do that. Like, I I don't know, man, it's it's not even antiquated. It just never actually belonged in football, a sport of men. That's just why do you need to kick? Uh, a player to show dominance again like Gerald said you're just a poor leader if you need uh, to do that and you're, you're probably quite insecure if you need to assert yourself in in that way um, you know I, I just the fact that he was fired for cause is wonderful so he won't be as well compensated as he probably could have been um, otherwise uh, but yeah I mean his his family is is taken to social media daughter and and just you know, they're angry, and he's been wronged, and it's very clear there's a, there's an overwhelming victim mentality in the Meyer ha- household that they think that somehow that that jerk uh, who is well documented, not just like the bad human things, but also like I was you know, when he was spotted in Urban's bar, for instance. That's not the biggest story from the NFL perspective, right? In college, I guess you can do that. In the NFL, no coach ever has not gone home with their team. 
has stayed while the team went separate. Like that just doesn't happen. You immediately get into, uh, I heard, you know, a couple NFL writers break it down, but like saying that even like take the scandal part out of it, like the logistics that he was still in Ohio uh, after that trip, like you might be able to do that, I guess in college with a bye week or something, but that's just not how the NFL works or operates. And so those things, like he just clearly didn't know how you were supposed to do it. And he was just bad at the job of being an NFL coach. He was not equipped nor good at it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is okay uh, to like, you know, when when um, bad things happen to bad people. But anyways, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, good riddance. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at UrbanMeyerFan14. Uh, you can follow me <laughs> at Kyle Carpenter. And uh, follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. For Kyle Carpenter and Gerald Goodrich, we're wishing you a Merry Christmas if you celebrate. And if not, hope you have a great week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Happy Quantum.